CIA, uh, come and grab one of your packets at the conclusion of the service. Wow, what a blessing. I just want to say for one that I am so happy to have a church family like Bethel. Uh, it is just incredible to know that, um, that we have such a loving church family. Uh, I've seen it over and over again. I've seen people reaching out uh, to, to visitors, to our neighbors, and uh, it's just exciting to see. And I guess what they're doing is the Bethel family is taking this theme of God's love that I've been preaching about since the first of the year, and you're taking it to heart. And uh, that's a great problem. Um, I've shared, I think every sermon so far this year, I've shared this desire of God. This desire of God for humanity is this, that we comprehend the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. God wants that for you. He wants you to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge so that you can be filled with the fullness of God. Truly, love is not simply a Christian message, love is the Christian message, exactly, every person that you influence, every person that you influence needs to know that God insists on loving every person on this planet, it doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter what you've done, God insists on loving you. And one way that our Father expresses His love to His children is in the Ten Commandments. I know we don't think of it that way often, but that is the case. The Ten Commandments are given by our God who loves us and wants the very best for us. As Charles Spurgeon said, they, the Ten Commandments, forbid us nothing that might injure us, and they withhold us nothing that would be a real pleasure to us. The Ten Commandments simply tell us the wisest and happiest way to live life. The Ten Commandments were given for our benefit and to show the love of God. And last week we started taking a fresh walk through these ten God-given instructions that God uses to express His love for us. We began with the first commandment. The first commandment in Exodus chapter 20 says, You shall have no other gods before me. The one true God wants every one of us to know that He insists on an exclusive relationship with his children. He ain't sharing us with nobody. Amen. He doesn't want to share us with anybody. But sadly. Many believers. Have allowed other gods. To clutter up their lives. Many believers. Those professing to know Jesus. Those professing. To have a relationship with the most high God. Have cluttered up their lives. With gods called wealth. 
cluttered up their lives with God's called addiction. Cluttered up their lives with God's called desire. With God's called comfort. With God's called power. And God will not have it. He even says that he does not insist on a primary place amongst the other gods. He insists that there be no other gods at all. He is the only God. The second command was the focus rule. If the first command was the fundamental rule, then the second command is the focus rule. That first command tells us who we should worship. The second command tells us how we should go about worshiping him. We must worship the right God, but we need to worship him in the right way also. And that comes by hearing. That's how we worship God. By hearing, not by seeing. God is heard, not necessarily seen. You may see his actions. You may see the result of his judgment. You may see the result of what he does. But God himself is not seen. He is heard. Idols. Idols are seen. But they're never heard, are they? I never heard money crying out my name. I never heard power calling my name. So God is heard but not seen. Idols, on the other hand, are seen but never heard. When you make an image, when you make an idol, it distorts God. See, an image can never be all that God is. So he tells us in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an image. Today we move on to the third commandment. And we're going to entitle the third commandment as the frivolous rule. The frivolous rule. And in verse, 20, in verse 7, uh, chapter 20, the Bible says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, oftentimes when people read that commandment, they think that it's a command or a rule against cussing. Amen? That's how I was raised. How about you? Don't cuss. Uh, and I believe that that's certainly part of the intent of that command. But words have great power. Amen? The words that have torn me down in the past and the words that have built me up in the past resonate in my mind. So words have great power. But this third commandment, friend, goes much deeper than the use of vulgar language. That Hebrew word for vain, you need to know what that means today. Because that word vain means emptiness. It means nothingness. It means worthlessness. So God is saying, hey, don't use my name as if I were nothing. Don't use the name of God as if I were worthless. Don't use the name of God as if I had no value. In other words, 
Don't ever use the name of the Lord in a frivolous way. I remember my mama taught me not to use the name of God unless I was talking to him or telling somebody about him. That's a good rule for us to follow. Names carry meaning to us. Names carry meaning. Names signal us to think in a certain way. When we use God's name frivolously, we cheapen his name. You make his name worth less. When people use the phrase, oh my God. It sends a chill up my neck. When people say, oh my God, what happens to the meaning of the name of God? It becomes meaningless. It becomes worthless. It almost becomes contemptible. It becomes inferior to every other thing. Friend, I want to challenge you. Don't use the name of God unless you're speaking to him. Or you're telling somebody about him. Sadly, our current generation has reduced the name of God to a word with little meaning. And that's because words and thoughts are linked. What we say and what we think are linked. As the mouth goes, so goes the mind. So if you want to know what people are thinking about God, listen to how they speak about Him. Now, this may surprise you, but I'm actually happy that the oath that witnesses take before testifying in court has changed. I'm thankful that it's changed. You may remember this. A a witness used to lay his hand or her hand on the Bible And they used to say, I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That way, if they told a lie in court, they were taking the name of the Lord in vain. But because modern courtrooms have turned into nothing more than an arena for liars... Because modern courtrooms have turned into an arena where the judge has to sort out lie after lie after lie. I'm glad people aren't swearing to God. I'm glad they're no longer using the name of God as a backup. Especially for people who have no intention of telling the truth. Watch a lot of Judge Judy, amen? She'll tear them up, man. That woman can detect a liar from a mile away. In fact, she says, you want to know when a teenager's telling the truth? Or when a teenager's lying? When they open their mouth. Amen? I don't believe that, but that's what Judge Judy says. But she sorts out the liars. But you know what, uh, what's, what's the, the bailiff's name? Um, anybody know? The, who? Doug? I think that sounds right. Anyway, here's what he says when he's swearing in a witness. 
He says, do you swear to tell the truth in these proceedings? I'm glad that they're no longer using the name of God as a backup for their lies. Do you remember what Jesus taught his disciples? When he was teaching them to pray, he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your... Hallowed be your... Jesus thought the name of God was worthy for us to make holy. Prayer, speaking to God, begins by making the name of God holy. Oh, friend, be careful how you speak the name of God. I believe that we'll give an account for every time that we speak the name of God without holiness. Friend, God loves you. And he knows that we can't experience his love if we're devaluing the very name by which we know him. Think God's serious about that? <laughs> Getting your attention, amen. We can't know him. We can't experience his love if we're devaluing the name by which we know God. So here's what he says. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The fourth commandment is one we're going to entitle the frailty rule. The frailty rule in verse 8 of chapter 20 in Exodus says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it, or made it holy. In Jesus' day, there were religious men called Pharisees. And they were what we call legalists. And the Pharisees crunched the numbers of legalism. And they came up with 1,521 things you couldn't do on the Sabbath day. 1,521 things. And they included things like this. You couldn't rescue a drowning person on the Sabbath day. Too much like work. Some of you are going to really have a problem with this one because the Pharisees said, you can't put in your false teeth on the Sabbath day. <laughs> too much like work. Some of you are going to have a problem with this one too. 
You can't pluck a gray hair from your head in the mirror. Maybe I'm the only one that has that problem, amen? <laughs> Poor Elwood. Good thing you can't do it, amen? Let her flow, baby, let her flow. Couldn't pluck a gray hair from your head. Too much like work. Get this. You got a buddy that got sick? You can care for him. But according to the Pharisees, you couldn't cure him. That's too much like work. Legalism. The Pharisees said all those things are like work. And you can't do those things on the Sabbath day. Man made a nightmare of the Sabbath day. But I'm here to tell you today, that is not what God intended for the Sabbath day. This commandment was given so that God could express to you how much He loves you. This commandment was given to you to express how deeply God loves you. You see, that word Sabbath means rest. Because God loves you. He knows you put in a hard, day, a hard week at work. He knows you need rest. He knows you need downtime. He knows that you're frail that way. He knows that you can burn out if you keep on working. Therefore, He commands you to have a shutdown day. He commands you to shut down and so that you don't burn out, so that you don't grow weary in your work. He establishes a day where you can regularly disengage. Disengage from work and get refreshed. He commands you a day to shut down and be freshened. Now, God also created the Sabbath to provide those whom he loves, that's you, to provide those whom he loves a day to turn from the material to the spiritual. That's what you're doing in here today. You're not getting anything physical being in this building today. But I pray by the time you leave here, you're going to be getting plenty spiritual. Amen? Amen? He wants us to get something spiritual. But he also wants you to connect with God in a deeper way. I don't know how many times I've heard it, but plenty. I can worship God anywhere I am. I can worship God even while I'm working. But while you're working, you're distracted, aren't you? Even while you're playing, you're distracted. But when you're here, prayerfully, you're focused. You're focused on what God has for you. You're focused on being here. You're focused on connecting with God in a deeper way. That was part of God's intent for the Sabbath. To provide you a day where you can more deeply connect with Him. Before Jesus Christ... People worked toward the Sabbath day. 
They rested on the seventh day. But now, since Jesus Christ has come on the scene, Christians have now been celebrating the Sabbath day on Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection day. So we work from the Sabbath. And we live in the power of Christ's resurrection all week long. We don't work toward the Sabbath. We're working from the Sabbath rest. The Sabbath rest of Christ. In the beginning of the second century, early Christians began worshiping on Sunday. On Sunday, the very first day of the week. And it was a day that was celebrating the, the resurrection of Jesus. And we call it the Lord's Day. And to this day, we call it in our bulletin, the Lord's Day. It's the resurrection day. And then in 321 A.D., the Roman Emperor Constantine proclaimed throughout the entire empire that Sunday would be a special day of worship throughout the empire. Imagine if we enjoyed that kind of leadership today. Imagine if we had a president that said, you know what? I'm passing a law. I'm passing a law that Sunday's going to be a special day that we celebrate and worship and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh man, what a country we'd have then. But think of this too. Every single Sunday since Jesus rose from that grave, every single Sunday to today, somewhere in the world, there has been a group of believers celebrating and worshiping together. Every Sunday for over 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ has been worshiping together. It's a wonderful gift. It's a gift of God's day. It's a gift where we come together and we recognize him and we honor him and we reflect on how good he's been to us. And as we do that, thankfulness builds in our heart. As we do that, we begin to seek ways that I might serve him. I begin to think of ways that I might serve him in ministry. Maybe it's for the children. Maybe it's for the growth of the church. As I begin thinking about God's goodness to me, I begin thinking about how I might in turn serve him. And in doing that, I avoid anything that would make Sunday just a regular old day. Sunday's pretty special to me. Is Sunday special to you? I pray that it is. There are two commands here about the Sabbath day. Remember it and keep it holy. Say it with me. Remember it and keep it holy. This is a gift from God to you, my friend. A day of rest. A day to magnify the Lord your God. There's a story about some African guides who were taking their visitors through the deepest parts of the jungle. 
And after six, day, six days through the thickest jungles, the natives just stopped and refused to go any further. They said, we need a day to let our souls catch up with our bodies. That's what Sunday should be for you. A day for you to pause in your body and let your soul catch up with you. I pray that's how you view this love gift from God. Because God gives every single one of us a love gift every week to get your soul back in alignment with him. It's incredible how easy we get out of alignment with God, isn't it? But it's incredible too how quickly I get back into alignment being here with you. Keeping the Sabbath day, the, re the day of rest. So the question is, will you accept the gift God's given? That gift to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I'd like to share the fifth commandment with you today. And it's entitled, The Family Rule. The Family Rule. And in verse 12, it's rather simple and you've heard it all your life. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Honor your father and your mother. There are two sections listed in the Ten Commandments. God's great list for a great life. The first section is made up of the first four commands and they teach us how to love God. Put nothing before Him. Create no image to challenge Him. Use His name with reverence. And also accept the day that He's provided to connect with Him. Jesus summarized that first section by saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But there's a second section in the Ten Commandments. The second section is the last six commandments, and it's all about loving others. Jesus summarized that section by saying, love your neighbor as yourself. But this fifth commandment, Honor your father and mother. The family rule stands right smack in the middle of the Ten Commandments. And like the first four commandments, it deals with authority and respect. But like the last five, it also deals with human relationships. This commandment is pretty straightforward. But like the others, it also has a deeper meaning. All throughout my life, I've Heard this command. Honor your father and your mother. We quote it to our children, and I think we should. But I wonder if there's not a more deeper application for adult children. As I was thinking about how that applies to adult children I began thinking about people like Carol Stanford. I began 
thinking about people like Wanda Shedd. I began thinking about people like Brenda Tarpley. I began thinking about people who have dedicated their lives to taking care of their parents in their later years. And I began thinking about my mom struggling with only 10% of her liver left. And I've learned to honor my mom differently. As I see my mom unable to care for herself anymore, I'm taking it more personally now. That I'm honoring my father and my mother by making sure that she's taken care of in these last years of her life. Because God loves us, there's a promise attached to this command. And it comes this way. And the promise goes like this. As we care for our aging parents, they're going to have longer and better lives. And so will we as our children learn from our example. Your children are watching how you're taking care of your parents. Now I know that many of you, like me, have been failed by your parents. How do you honor someone who's failed you? How do you honor somebody who doesn't deserve honor? Well, many of you may know that my mom and dad were divorced when I was two years old. And for the first 38 years of my life, I heard from my dad three times. And I want to tell you something. I was resentful about that. Very bitter. Very angry. Then one day, Dad called. And he said, I want to meet your brother and you. And in that moment, I could have accepted the opportunity to make that relationship better or I could have remained in my bitterness. And I'm happy to tell you, while it will never be all that it could have been, my relationship with Dad is a positive one. And it's one I'll cherish all my life. The Lord loves us and he wants us free from the bondage of unhealed emotions. And that goes from with your parents too. The Lord is saying, listen carefully. The Lord is saying, will you love your parents as I have loved you? 
with no demands, no expectations, no conditions? If you do, it will increase both the quantity and the quality of your years. The family rule is illustrated really well by a Grimm's fairy tale that I once read entitled The Old Man and His Grandson. There once was a very old man who could barely see, he could barely hear, his knees trembled, and when he sat at the table, he could barely hold his spoon, and he spit up all over the tablecloth, and soup would always run out of his mouth. His son and his wife would get disgusted at the old man, and they would make the grandfather sit in the corner over there behind the stove. And they would give him his soup in a ceramic bowl and never enough of it. And the grandfather would look at the table and tears would stream from his eyes. And once his hands were trembling so bad that he couldn't hold that ceramic bowl anymore and it slipped out of his hands and it crashed to pieces. The young wife scolded him and went to the store and bought him a wooden bowl for pennies. Said, you'll eat out of that from now on. Can't break that. Several days later, that couple's four-year-old son came to the dinner table and he came with several pieces of wood. And the father asked the boy, why are you bringing wood to the table, son? And the little child said, I'm making a little trough for you and mother to eat out of when I get big. The man and the wife looked at each other and began to cry. And they immediately brought the grandfather back to the table and they never said anything again if he spit up on the tablecloth or drooled his soup. You see, adults who care for their aging parents set an example for their own children to imitate. Therefore, the Lord says, Honor your father and your mother. God is loving and God is good. Amen? Amen. And God wants us to care for one another. And that goes for blood family. And it also goes for church family. We ought to care for one another. No matter how old we get, we ought to know that not only our blood family is going to care for us, but our church family is going to care for us too. I guess the primary purpose for family is just to ensure health and stability from generation to generation to generation. 
So how's your relationship with your parents? Maybe you wish you had them back just so you could tell them one more time how much you love them. How's your relationship with your family? Maybe you have some regrets or some issues you need to get resolved. I want to encourage you to do that before it's too late. How's your relationship with your church family? Are you plugged into the family like you should be? Do you belong to a church family? Are you part of a church family? You know, in a church family, every single member has a role. One role is never more important than another role, they're just different. There are roles of teachers and deacons and preachers. And, but we're all on equal footing when it comes to the church. We just have different jobs to do. Sometimes what happens is, is we have members of the family who don't do their job. And so the, the family never functions as good as it could. So during the, the prayer time and during this decision time, I want you just to look within yourself. Ask yourself, have I been doing what God wants me to do within my church family? Am, have I formally become a part of the church family. Maybe it's high time. Maybe it's high time to become part and maybe it's high time to start doing my part. I, for one, never feel like I'm doing enough. And what happens with a personality like that is you keep doing and you keep doing and you keep doing. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're the doers. You keep doing and you keep doing and you keep doing. And then all of a sudden you wake up one morning and your attitude and your perception about the church family begins to change because you're tired. We all have our part to play. We're all part of the church family. 